Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. This is going to be episode 213 of The Informed Catholic, and we're going to be doing the readings for Friday, uh, the second week of Advent. And um, so we're going to continue also with the meditation from Jim Bishop's book on the nativity from the, the day Christ died. And uh, before we begin, please subscribe and share to my podcast if you think I'm doing a good job and you enjoy it. Uh, this would help my podcast distribute even more. So um, now that we got that out of the way, let's begin with our Advent prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? for sorrow has stricken you. I will save you, fear not, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop dew, you heavens from above, and let the clouds rain the just one. O God, who gladdens us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we, who now receive with joy your only begotten Son as our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our judge, even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And then now I would like to read the uh, Novena to Our Lady of Lourdes. O ever immaculate virgin, mother of mercy, health of the sick, refuge of sinners, comforter of the afflicted, you know my wants, my troubles, and my sufferings. Cast upon me a look of mercy by appearing in the grotto of Lourdes. You were pleased to make it a privileged sanctuary where you dispense your favors and where many sufferers have obtained the cure of their infirmities, both spiritual and corporal. I come, therefore, with the most unbounded confidence to implore your maternal intercession. Obtain, O loving Mother, the granting of my request. Through gratitude for, for favors, I will endeavor to imitate your virtues, that I may one day share your glory. Amen. And I will read also the Novena to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O most blessed Mother, heart of love, heart of mercy, ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayers. As your children, we implore your intercession with Jesus, your Son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today, especially here is our, we make our personal and private intentions. You can join me by making your own private intentions here. We are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayer. We trust to your gentle care and intercessions, those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burden in this life until we may share eternal life and peace with God forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, um, the opening antiphon to Friday. Behold, the Lord will come, descending 
with splendor to visit his people with peace and he will bestow on them eternal life. Grant that your people, we, we grant that your people, we pray, Almighty God, may be ever merciful for the coming of your only begotten Son, that as the author of our salvation himself has taught us, we may hasten alert with lighted lamps to meet him when he comes, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So the um, first reading is from Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17 to 19. If only you would hearken to my commandments. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I, the Lord your God, teach you what is for your good and lead you on the way you should go. If you would hearken to my commandments, your prosperity will be like a river and your vindication like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would be like the sand and those born of you, of your stock, like its grains. Their names never cut off or blotted out from my presence. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And it's going to be from Psalm 1, the response to the psalm. And the response is, those who follow you, Lord, will have the light of life. Those who follow you, Lord, will have the light of life. Blessed the man who follows not the counsel of the wicked nor walks in the way of sinners, nor sits in the company of the insolent, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. Those who follow you, Lord, will have the light of life. He is like a tree planted near running water that yields its fruit in due season, and, whoever, and whose leaves never fade. Whatever he does prospers. Those who follow you, Lord, will have the light of life. Not so the wicked, not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. For the Lord watches over the ways of the just, but the, ways, but the way of the wicked vanishes. Those who follow you, Lord, will have the light of life. Alleluia, uh, the Alleluia Antiphon. Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord will come. Go out to meet him. He is the Prince of Peace. Alleluia, alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. It's chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 16 to 19. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. They listened to neither John nor to the Son of Man. Jesus said to the crowds, To what shall I care compare this generation? It is like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a, we sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. They, and they said, he is possessed by a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they said, look, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friends of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is vindicated by her works. The gospel of the Lord prays to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Okay, so let's um, let's try to look at what we're reading here a little bit before I go into the uh, meditation on Jim Bishop's meditation on the on the nativity. The first part. Uh, let's look at what the words that stand out to us. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I, the Lord your God, teach you what is for your good, and lead you on the way you should go. If you would hearken to my commandments, your prosperity would be like a river, and your vindication like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would be like the sand, and those born of your stock like its grains, their names never cut off or blotted out from my presence. All right, so what stands out to us here? Let's look at what stands out. Thus the Lord, your Redeemer. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. I think the word Redeemer stands out. And then he goes on, the Holy One of Israel, I, the Lord, your God, teach you what is for your good. This line stands out. Teach you what is for your good. He's teaching us. He's giving us a teaching what is good for us. What is to, for our benefit. And the next line, and lead you on the way you should go. And lead you on the way you should go. <clears throat> I guess like a shepherd that leads the flock, that guides the flock, lead that we follow him because he's our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. He teaches us. All right. What is good? You know, you know, he, you know, he teaches us what is good for us. All right. And he leads us on the way we should go. And he's also our redeemer. So it's, you know, pretty clear there. And now we'll go to the next one. It, you know, after the line, and lead you on the way you should go, if you would hearken to my commandments. Hearken, listen, pay attention to the commandments. Then this line, it doesn't stop there. Your prosperity would be like a river, and your vindication like the waves of the sea. All right, so if we... He's our redeemer. He gives us what is good. And he leads us on the way we should, you know, you should go on the way we should go. All of us individually and like, a, uh, you know, as, as a people, a people of God. And he, he says here, if only we would hearken, if you would only, if you would hearken to my commandments, if you would pay attention, listen to my commandments, then he says we would prosper our prosperity, we would spiritually prosper. All right. We would spiritually prosper and we will be like a river. And he goes on to say, and your vindication, like the waves of the sea, we would be vindicated. We would be like a beautiful waves that you see on the sea. The beautiful waves. Our lives will be spiritually beneficial. Our lives would be spiritually a blessed if we, you know, by following and listening to the Lord's commandments, following him on the path and, you know, and accepting him and acknowledging him as, as our redeemer. That's what it's saying here. And then he says, your descendants will be like the sand and those born of your stock, like its grain. 
their names never cut off or blotted out from my presence. So all these, obviously, if we, if we were to have children and descendants or we would um, win over converts, witness to people by showing them how, God, how, how God's commandments, how God's redemption, how, God's, how following God's word, how it benefits our lives. It isn't just by descendants doesn't necessarily mean just having children, although that's, that's exactly what it means, but it also means spiritual descendants, all right, um, would be like the sand. Remember what God said to Abraham? You know, your descendants will be like the sand of the sea or the stars in heaven if you can count them. And he should say, you, um, through you all nations will be blessed. So it's spiritual descendants. It's spiritual descendants. But we can witness to people by showing them how we live our life, by showing them how the gospel affects our lives. So this is very important here. And he says, their names never cut off or blotted out from my presence, from his presence, the presence from him, from, from God's holy presence, sacramentally, spiritually, and completely literally. Because every single day we live in his presence if we are faithful. If we remain true to what Isaiah is telling us, telling us here, um, you know, following his teaching, you know, what is good, for, what, what is what is for your good. And he would lead us on the way that we should go on the right path, the path of righteousness, the straight and narrow path that Christ told us. All right. And if we, and, you know, we, and if only we would hearken to his, if you would hearken to my commandments and then we would, pro, our, our, your prosperity would be like a river. And your vindication like the waves of the sea. We will become like beautiful, like the waves of the sea. The grace and, 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 and flowing beautifully. You know, I mean, I haven't been to the seashore for a long time, but I'm sure that in some places the seas look beautiful. And we know we, I've seen them on TV and photos. You know, beautiful seashores. You know, it looks like, you know, heaven. And that's... The, Sorry about that. That's that's heaven for us. And that's what we need. We need to live in his presence. And if by living in his presence, both our children and spiritual descendants will never be blotted out from his presence. The next one here is a Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 pretty much says exactly, um, you know, kind of points to what Isaiah says, but I'm going to read to you here the whole thing without stopping. Blessed is the man who fo who follows not in the counsel of the wicked, nor walks in the way of sinners, nor sits in the company of the insolent, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. He is like a tree planted near running water that yields its fruit in due season and whose leaves never fade. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. For the Lord watches over the way of the just, but the way of the wicked vanishes. Okay. 
So what we see here is, one, we get the man who's uh, blessed. Blessed because he doesn't follow the counsel of the wicked, nor walks in the ways of the sinners, nor sits in the company of the insolent. So we have here, follows not in the counsel, doesn't take counsel, doesn't, doesn't pay attention to people who teach wicked things, who advise wicked things, and doesn't walk in the way of the sinner. In other words, uh, walking, meaning um, living, a lifestyle of living like, you know, uh, a criminal or a sinner or someone who blasphemes, who is a constantly at war with God, nor takes seat in the company of insolent, keeping company. And remember, I think I used the word, tell me who your friends are, show me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. That's an old proverb. I believe it's a Spanish proverb. It's, it's a very good proverb. Um, those particular things, counsel, walking in the way and taking a seat in the company, keeping bad company. All right. You just, you know, you, cause you want, you know, maybe because they're, they're, they might like give you, I guess you could say networking, give you a better job, uh, improve your, 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 your lifestyle or things like that. All those particular things. Um, counsel, listening to people's counsel and teaching, teaching you to do criminal and sinful things and walking, living a reckless lifestyle and then take and sit, uh, keeping company with bad, with bad people. Figures it would be a noisy day in Brooklyn, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, sorry about the sound in the background. Now in the next line, it changes here, right? But delights in the law of the Lord delights in God's law, in God's um, teaching, in God's word, and meditates on his law day and night. Meditates on the law of God day and night, making it part of your life. And then it describes what a person is like here. He is like a tree planted near running water that yields its fruit in due season and whose leaves never fade, and whatever he does prospers. Now, remember what Jesus said, a good tree does not bear bad fruit. All right? A good tree does not bear bad fruit, and an evil tree does not bear good fruit. But, you know, And he said, every tree is known by its fruit, by the, you know, your actions, how you live, how you practice, you know, how, you know, how you, um, how you conduct yourself, how you think, how you talk, how you deal with people. Are you honest? Do you cheat people? Do you, are, you, are you a gossiper? Do you smear someone behind their back? Do you, you know, I mean, there are things it's, you know, we, we deal with people every day. And I you know I like GK Chesterton's way, love your neighbor and love your enemy because they both happen to be the same people so and as it continues here then it says and whose leaves never fade so running water uh planted near running water the jews believe running water is living water 
um, they purify themselves in running water. That's why like when baptism, it has to be you either had to be dunked, submerged, that is, or pour the water sprinkled or poured over you. That's considered like living water. Running water is living water. Jesus said, through me, uh, whoever comes to me will never, th you know, you know, I will give you living water. All right. A river that runs, that flows is living water. A waterfall is living water, water that's constantly moving. And leaves that never fade means you're constantly refreshed with the word of God and through grace, whose leaves never wither. And whatever he does, fades, uh, prospers. Whatever you do, prospers, because you constantly live on the word of God. You are constantly living on the word of God. And we have the incarnate word of God, which is Jesus Christ. The word, the word in the flesh, and we have him in the sacrament, in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And we have him in the, in the Bible, the, through the sacraments, uh, you know, um, the Bible and the sacraments. We have him in, you know, in, in our sacramental life. Our sacramental life is living on the word of God, both in the written scripture and we have the living person. Because we follow a person. We're not just people of the book. We're followers of the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. That's what we have here. Now, then it jumps back to in the last verse here. Not so the wicked, not so. They are like a chaff. They're like chaff. Like, you know, the leaves or the things that you cut from the, from the, the harvest which the wind drives away, the wind of God blows them away, blows their evil, their, their evil uh, presence, their evil marks, their evil um, dealings away. For the Lord watches over the way of the just, but the way of the wicked vanishes. The divine wind of God, the judgment of God drives them away. Just like what happened to Pharaoh when were through the Red Sea and his army when he pursued the Israelites who are a picture of the church. And going through the Red Sea was a picture of the baptism. Peter says that, you know, if you read the New Testament uh, letters, you'll see that how they're doing exactly what Jesus taught them. And then when the Israelites got to the other side, the waters of the Red Sea collapsed on them. And Pharaoh and his army or maybe just Pharaoh, were washed away. Their sinful ways, their pagan ways were washed away. That's what we have here. All right, so now we have one more thing we got to go through, and that is the gospel. Jesus said to the crowd, To what shall I compare this generation? It is like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he is possessed by a demon. The son of man, um, he, John came neither eating or drinking, and they said he is possessed by a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they said he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is vindicated by her works. All right.
What uh, To what generation? Jesus said to the crowd, to what shall I compare this generation? Now he's talking to the people in, his, in the present day, obviously, in his time, all right, who are about to see everything, the covenant that God has made with, with their ancestors finally about to be uh, uh, accomplished. The all that God has promised Israel was about to be complete in Jesus Christ. And he calls, he compares them. It is, it is like children who sit in the marketplace and call to another. So he's obviously saying that they are idle children who call to one another. Like you see kids and, in, in, you know, what like today, like you see kids, I guess, at the mall. We can compare it to that. Who played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. All right. So obviously singing and dancing, I guess you can compare it to the way kids play music today. Idle, not paying, not caring to what's happening around them. And then the part here about um, a dance, we sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. There were people uh, that... Believe this or not, it sounds funny, but I guess if you didn't have many friends in the Middle East back uh, even now, or in some cases, be back then you would hire people to mourn for you, uh, to mourn. So if you had a passing, but you would have to pay them, obviously. And, you know, uh, we, we dance and we sang a dirge, uh, a mourning song, uh, a lament, uh, basically, but you did not mourn. So... They're obviously, he's saying, they're, they're, he's calling them idle. And he's calling them basically that they're, that they are constantly, um, they're ignoring, obviously, what's about to happen. In other words, he goes on here about John. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said he is possessed by a demon. A holy man, John came and he warned them. John, John's mission was he constantly pointed to the problems in their day, to their sinful behavior. The, he, he pointed, the, the Jews were very, very religious people. And they had, the temple was the center of their life. The one thing that, that, that united the Jews was that temple. The temple of Herod, just like the temple of Solomon, was the one thing that united all the tribes. And what happened now, the Jews were not in charge of their nation anymore. Remember, Rome rules over them. They haven't been in charge. Sorry, I had to stop because there was uh, alarm. car alarm uh, went off. They haven't been in charge of their lives nationally. They haven't had a king. They haven't had um, a high priest ruling over them like after the Maccabean period for for a long time now i mean rome came in around uh the uh, 63 67 bc pomp general pompey came through and pompey or i, I know i pronounced the name wrong probably but and conquered them and they have not been in charge and they've had uh puppet rulers um uh herod the great and his and his descendants uh uh, Herod Antipas rules over them and the high priesthood is appointed by Rome and the world's changing. The world has changed. It began to change and they, they are resistant. They're resistant. It's kind of similar to my people, the Palestinians. They're very resistant to the changes of the world. Unfortunately, they, you know, they're just in denial. <laughs>
I'm going to say it. But the problem here is they're caught up and they're expecting God to act according to their terms. And Jesus here points out, John came neither eating or drinking. And they said he's possessed by a demon. They were expecting the forerunner who was like Elijah to come. And they didn't recognize him in John the Baptist. They didn't recognize, uh, you know, the analogy. John came in the manner and style of Elijah. He is not reincarnated. There is no reincarnation. He is, he came in the manner of the prophet Elijah. John is the last prophet of the Old Testament. And he is also, he holds two spots, basically. I, I kind of look at it personally. One foot in the old and one foot in the new. He's, a, he's announcing the, the accomplishment of uh, the God accomplishing all the covenants, all the promises he made to Israel. And he is announcing the beginning of the new covenant, the end of the old and the beginning of the new. And, Jesus, and they called him possessed. He, he didn't eat or drink and he didn't get rich. He preached, he condemned, he pointed out to what was wrong in the temple. He, he pointed out to what was wrong in the, in the uh, abuses of the, of, the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, you know, he said that they, they, they are not, they're not bearing good fruit. Remember, he said, uh, you know, he'll, the Messiah will come and he'll chop you down and throw you into the fire. Right. And then he pointed to um, Herod Antipas about his adulterous behavior. And what's going on today compared to what's happening today? We have, um, you know, people, politicians like Joe Biden, who goes against church teaching like a Herod Antipas. Right. He he th he says he's a devout Catholic. He says he carries his rosary in his pocket and it comforts him. Yet he supports abortion. Yet at the same time, he also goes against church teaching and believes in same-sex unions, calls it marriage. In a sense, it's similar to, you know, I mean, a priest, any priest that speaks up, any priest that speaks up, that, that refuses, that denies him Holy Communion, is crushed by the bishops, similar to like the high priests in Jerusalem, Caiaphas and Annas, right? Nothing's changed. And Jesus comes and he likes to eat, he drinks and he preaches and he keeps company with sinners. He's bringing the gospel. He's bringing the word of God to those people and they don't recognize the signs of the times. And he know, and he says, you know, a drunken, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is vindicated by her works. So the word of God, the wisdom of God is always, uh, no one is going to recognize the work of God. Even those who, who, who say they hold high positions like the, like the bishops of today, our bishops who are supposed to be our shepherds, they themselves have made themselves blind to the word of God. They don't know the word of God. And just like back then in the time of Jesus, the high priesthood, the Pharisees, the Pharisees ruled uh, the they ruled the synagogue and the Sadducees ruled the the uh they were like in a sense the elitists who ruled over the temple 
um, because they controlled the temple. They're more like, you know, they only accepted a certain teaching, but they rejected the prophets or some of the prophets. They didn't, you know, they only looked at the five books of Moses and they kind of like to give themselves wiggle room. And then, of course, you know, you got the secular world and the people, the people, the everyday people, um, it all depends how how deeply are you in the word of God. Some, you know, if you could be a Catholic that doesn't care, doesn't bother you, homosexuality doesn't bother you, abortion doesn't bother you. Question is, are you willing to pay the price for that spiritually? And then you're going to get Catholics that are extremely far to the right. Like in Jesus' day, they were the Essenes. They went to the desert. They rejected everything, you know, uh, in a sense, like they, they call those, uh, city, city of I mean, those people who believe that the chair of Peter is empty. <laughs> All right. I'm not good with those words, but that's, you're going to get real extreme right wing. You're going to get a real extreme right wing that only believe in the Latin mass and they don't recognize any, anything else. They're very, they're very rigidly right wing. And then you're going to get, sometimes you're going to get Catholics caught in between. You know, you're going to get those particular conservatives that are really, really trying to navigate. But it, the point is, it's the word of God. It's the sacraments. It's the official teachings of the church. All the other things are just politics. All right. I, I truly believe that. And I don't, I don't believe we have to make any sacrifices. I think we just have to learn and know the faith serve Christ, continue to receive the sacraments and, you know, just, just remain faithful, remain a faithful Catholic. Do not abandon the church. Do not jump off the boat of Peter, whatever all the other, all the other complica uh, complicated things that will solve itself. It will solve itself. You know, the Holy Spirit will solve it. All right, let's go to that Jim Bishop uh, book. All right, let's start from here. And so at the age of 15, the singularly blessed young woman would have to undergo this trial alone. Just as 34 years from now, her son would have to undergo his trials alone. Mary had been told almost from babyhood that the ways of Yahweh, the ways of the Lord, are mysterious indeed not to be measured or weighed by humans. And if it, is, if it was his will that the Son of God was to be born in a cave under an inn, Mary would not question the wisdom of it, although she might permit herself the small hope that the place was clean. The discouraged bridegroom led his spouse into the stable. He fixed and hung lamps. He looked at the staring, blinking animals, and collected sufficient straw for a pallet. He took the water bucket from the ass and went out and filled it. He wanted to build a fire, but there was no dry wood in the hills, and he went back up to the innkeeper and bought some charcoal. The fire was built outside the entrance to the cave. When their big goatskin bag had been emptied of pots and dishes and cups, he led the donkey inside. Then after a whispered conversation with Mary, he went outside and left Mary alone in the ruddy light of the fire. 
He heated water and mumbled prayers, which begged for mercy. He tried to keep busy. But when an animal snorted, Joseph jumped. He crouched beside the fire, moving the coals. And when they had stopped smoking, he edged them toward the cave. The proprietor's wife might have come down to see whether Mary needed help. No one came. The time was slow and came infinite loneliness. The pendulum of it was in a, in a systolic and di, diastolic pulse of two hearts, one beating slowly with a heavy effort and the other swift and shallow as that of a baby rabbit held in the, in the hand. Time would not be hurried nor would it be slowed further than its own steady pace. It went on and on, and, J and Joseph, crouching by the gray um, uh, furred embers, saw a new and bright star over the mountain of Moab. She called to him. He went inside timidly, noting the, pulp, the, the plums of breath from the animals, and he saw Mary crouched beside a manger. In it were the broad bolts of the white swaddling clothes she had brought, and bending far over, he could look inside the little tent of cloth and see the red face of a tiny infant. This, Joseph said to himself, is the one of whom the angel spoke. He dropped to his knees. This was the Messiah, the Christ. Escaping the wrath of Herod by means of brief flight into Egypt, Mary and Joseph brought the infant home to a normal life. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, where the neighbors thought him as son of Joseph. His mother taught the law to him long before he went to school to learn to read and write. He advanced in wisdom and age and grace but not out of proportion to his years. He had neighborhood playmates, and if we can guess the child from what we know of the man, he was a serious child. He would not be given to pranks, although he was probably imagined enough to want to play in sand piles and dream. The Greek city of Sepphoris was a few miles over the hill, and the Jews of this part of Galilee did much of their big shopping in the markets there. Joseph went there many times, holding Jesus by the hand and listening to the swift Greek words of the shopkeepers. There was a government arsenal in the town and soldiers. When his father uh, bought him a new cutting, uh, cutting tool, a shopkeeper may have offered the child a sweet, a sugared spice from a jar. But if so, the child was taught, as all Jewish children were not to accept the gift from a Gentile, but to bow his deepest and thank his loudest. Nazareth was among towns in Palestine, a chipper in the northern hills. I'm sorry, I think the word is, well, I, I don't know this word too well. I would probably say a speck in the northern hills, if I should have said that, a, no, a, a nothing in Judea. They made jokes about Nazareth. The old scripture mentioned many places in the land of the, is, uh, of the Israelites, but Nazareth was not among them. The name comes from the Hebrew word Nazar, a rod. 
In the old scriptures, Isaiah has said that the Messiah would be a rod out of Jesse. Every year in the month of Nisan, Joseph went up to Jerusalem for the, for the Pesach, that is the Passover. He left his wife and his foster son at home until the boy was twelve. From that time, Jesus was an adult, male Jew, as responsible as his foster father in religious duties. Mary was not obliged to go to Jerusalem, but her piety was as close to her as the next breath, and she accompanied her men. It was she who taught Jesus the precepts of his faith, and it was she who enrolled him in a rabbinic school so that he would learn to read and write and to study more and more of the law. Study did not come easily to Jesus simply because of the divine side of his nature. When he assumed the nature of a, hu of a human being, he became, in a sense, vulnerable as a human. If a knife slipped in his finger, he bled like any other boy. If his mother rebuked him, he felt sorrow. If Joseph... Hold on. I want to make sure here. If in Joseph's shop he planned a piece of pine to exact thickness and Joseph complimented him, Jesus reddened with pride and tried harder to please. The annual trip to Jerusalem was was always exciting. It was a festive occasion. Neighbors banded together in little caravans, and the men joked and felt a deep joy in their in this pilgrimage. The little caravans blended into other little caravans, and the roads were choked with pilgrims, all happy, bowing and smiling and exchanging godly greetings. Little sons often sat astride their father's shoulders for the entire trip. Often they stopped at sundown in good warm weather and slept in the fields. If the night air was cold or rainy, they would seek an inn. And these were usually shaped like a hollow square with a courtyard in the middle where the animals were tethered. Around the sides were a few small rooms reserved for the rich and one public room reserved for the poor. In the public room, the Jews always asserted their freedom and their independence. No man will tell another when to go to sleep or when to stop talking. Some debated questions of the law or the markets for produce until, at la until late hours. Some prayed loudly and long. Some huddled in groups, sitting against a wall, singing psalms until the morning hours. Children huddled on the floor between parents and slept through the, through the din. Most families arrived in the Holy City a day or two before the, the 14th Nisan. Some left the day after the Feast of Pashach, but that is Passover, but the pious ones stayed inside or outside Jerusalem for the entire week of the Passover until the 21st Nisan. When Jesus was 12 years of age, a young, um, 12 years of age, youngster, perhaps a little taller than the average and more serious than most, Joseph and Mary left the holy city uh, with their Nazareth caravan for home and discovered after a day's journey that their son was nowhere to be found. They were frantic with worry and said farewell to their friends and hurried back to the temple. When they got to Jerusalem, they did not find him. They searched in the place where they had spent the week. He was not there. 
Their worry was intense beyond words. This child was more than their son. He had a sacred mission, and only they knew about it. He was special. He, he was a special charge from God, and they had lost him. They hurried through the narrow streets, looking in, in shops, running to catch up with, with, each, with, with each tall, slender boy ahead of them, only to find that it was not Jesus. Asking authorities if a boy without parents had been found or reported, everywhere the answer was the same. No one had seen him. On the third day, fatigued beyond tears, they walked into the temple to appeal to the true father for help, to his true father for help. There, on, on one of the porticos, they saw their boy seated among the rabbis, listening to them propound the, uh, propound the, um, with the uh, teachers of the law, asking questions and answering questions. The rabbis seemed to be charmed with the intellect and the knowledge of the youth. The mother who had lost a child will weep and worry and, th and think only, only of the tragic things which might happen. But the moment her eyes rest on the child and she sees that he is unhurt, her automatic re reflex is anger. Child, Mary said to Jesus sternly, why did you, have, did you behave toward us in this way? Oh, our hearts were heavy, your father's and mine, as we searched for you. Jesus looked up at his mother. He seemed to be surprised at the anguish he saw in her face and in Joseph. Why did you search for me? He said softly. I had, I had to answer my father's call, and did you not know it? No doubt the rabbis around him were mystified by, his, by this answer. And there is reason to believe that neither Mary nor Joseph understood. His true father was God the father, and his father lived here. Still he was obedient, son. He stood and thanked the rabbis, and he left with his parents for Nazareth. From that time until Jesus was thirty-two years of age, a matter of twenty years, he lived in Nazareth, known only to his own family and kinfolk and his friends. There he was part of a two large families, Joseph's and Mary's. He had many relatives and, cu and customs of the Orient was to, was to learn all of them, even the outermost branch of, of cousins. In fact, some cousins of the first and second order were called Ab, brother, and Abath, both sister, so that Jesus was said to have many brothers and sisters, although in strict sense he had none. They loved him, and he loved them, and at, and at weddings and, and circumcisions he was part of the great gathering of his clan. None of these thought, uh, thought Jesus was in any way remarkable, and a little more thoughtful perhaps than the other. Let me go back and read a little bit more here. Still he was an obedient son. He stood and thanked the rabbis and left with his parents for Nazareth. From that time until Jesus was 32 years of age, a matter of 20 years, he lived in Nazareth, known only to his own family, his kinfolk and his friends. There he was part of two large families, Joseph and Mary's. He had many relatives and the customs of the Orient to learn, all of them. 
even the outer, uh, outermost branch of cousins. In fact, cousins of the first and second order were, were called Ab, brother, and Abath, sister. So that Jesus was said to have many brothers and sisters, although in the strict sense he had none. They loved him, and as he loved them, and at weddings and circumcisions he was part of a great gathering of his clan. None of these thought Jesus was in any way remarkable. A little more thoughtful, perhaps, than the other boys of his age, disinclined to jokes or to flirt with the pretty ones among the cousins, more inclined to sit with the older men and listen or to, or to dip into the outer edges of the conversation. It is understandable that Jesus was not considered to be holier than the others because piety to the Jews was such an all-pervading part of the daily life that religion invaded their eating, their drinking, thinking, talking, and even their sleeping habits. The only way in which one good person might seem to be more religious than the other would be if he showed signs of being a prophet. Jesus showed none. He helped his foster father in the shop, and as Jesus grew tall and strong, he assumed more and more of Joseph's work, especially when Joseph's health declined. And when the quiet, faithful man died, there were the thoughts of the son as he stood over all that was left of the man who had given him legality, and much more than that, his love. First, adult tears of the human Jesus were shed at this time. But of course, this grief was not alone. The boy and his mother were together. Let me, I guess, finish this part here, I guess, right? The public life and ministry to redeem mankind began in the latter part of A.D. 27. Jesus was 32 years of age, a mature man, whose eyes seemed to reflect a secret sorrow. He spent less time in the shop and more time among the people, teaching and listening. Many in the Galilean country knew him, and he knew many, but they did not know his mission, nor did he speak of it. He was acquainted with, the, with their problems and their pleasures, and they, and they knew him as one of, the, one of their people. True Galileans with soft, slurring, uh, dialectic speech. Jesus made, uh, must have known that this accent was a s source of laughter and mockery in Judea. A favorite joke was the one about the Galilean farmer uh, who wanted to buy a, a wool in Jerusalem, and he asked where he could find Amar. A shopkeeper said, Stupid Galilean, what are you looking for? Uh, hamar, an ass, or hamar, wine, or amar, a lamb, or amar, wool. The farmer in the north knew Jesus on sight. The farmers of the north knew Jesus on sight. He walked the roads alone and barefooted unless the journey was to be long. He wore a plain white outer garment with no stripes along the hem, and he wore no uh, polyactries, that's that little box I guess you can have on your forehead uh, that Jews use uh, uh, to pray uh, on certain times. Sometimes the farmers stopped work to cross the fields and talk to Jesus. 
they sought him as one seeks a learned, sympathetic man, a teacher, and they told him their problems and were astonished at the shrewd solutions he offered. He was now almost ready to begin his work of salvation, but he knew that according to scriptures, someone would precede him. Look, Isaiah said, I am sending ahead of you a messenger who is to prepare your road. A herald's voice rings out in the desert. Make ready the road of the, uh, the, road of, uh, of the Lord. Make straight his path. Jesus knew that the one ahead of him would be the one who had preceded him in birth, John, son of the age Elizabeth. The, the cousin of Jesus was now in the desert. He had grown to be a fierce ascetic, given to long rolling phrase of denunciation. When God gave him his apostolate, John came out in, into the rich green country on both sides of the River Jordan, and he baptized all whom he, whom he could have uh, whom he could convince. He wore a long shirt of camel's hair, a raw leather girdle. He ate locusts and wild honey, and his weapon was anger. The people came to him from all over the country, including Jerusalem. He stood uh, he stood shin deep in the Jordan, Jordan River, and they confessed their sins, and he poured water over them for the remission of sins. Once when he saw Sadducees and Pharisees among the ordinary people of the country, he, return, he returned to them and, and roared, brood of vipers who advised you to flee before the gathering storm of anger. Well then, let your conduct show your change of heart. His face showed contempt. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. I tell you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham out of these very stones. They move toward him timidly, ready for contrition. Besides, he said uh, shrilly, from now on, the axe lies ready to strike at the root of the tree. Any tree, therefore, that does not produce sound fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water to help you um, make a change of heart. But one shall come after me who is mightier than I, and whose sandals I am not worthy to take off his feet. For his part, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John threw both hands in the air. His winnowing fan is in his hand, he warned, and he will thoroughly cleanse the threshing floor. The wheat will store in the barn, and the chaff he will burn in unquenchable fire. He baptized the people in great crowds, and they asked him what they should do to attain salvation. And John shouted, He who has two coats should give one to him, and the one and and, and he that has none you know, uh, should give you know uh, should give one, and he who has food should do likewise. Tax collectors asked, and he said Exact nothing in excess of the rate prescribed to you. Policemen came with questions, and John said, Browbait no one, blackmail no one, and become content with uh, with your pay. And the day came when Jesus asked, when when John, um, sorry, the day came when they asked John who he was. The Baptists understood them and and knew that their question really was, Are you the Messiah? 
He shook his head vigorously and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then, who are you? Elias? I am not. Are you then the prophet? No. Who are you? We have to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I am a herald's voice, which rings out upon the desert. Make straight the road of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah has said, the Pharisees felt a delicious tremor of suspicion run through their minds and said, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah or Elias or the prophet? I baptize you with water, John roared. There is already one in your midst whom you do not know, the one who is to follow me, the, the strap of whose sandals I am not fit to untie. The next day John was exhorting a crowd on the banks of the Jordan when he saw his tall cousin walking towards him. Look, said John, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, there is a man to follow me who, ha who takes precedence over me because he existed before me. I too ha uh, had known him, but he had to be made known to Israel. And it is for the, this purpose that I came to baptize with water. John did not recognize his cousin. He had not seen him since childhood. Jesus lifted the hem of his garment with one hand and stepped into the Jordan. John shook his head neg uh, negatively. It is I who should be baptized by you. The Messiah kept walking into the water. And you come to me, John said? Let me have my way for the present, Jesus said. And he bowed his head for the water. After all, it's only so that we fulfill as it is proper for us all justice demands. When he was baptized, Jesus walked out into the embankment of the brown stream and the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended in the form of a dove. It alighted on him and a voice came from afar. This is my son, the beloved, in whom I was well pleased. I'll end it here. I hope that uh, was helpful. I liked it, and it was interesting uh, read. I wanted to read as much as I can. Um, there's a smaller book, The Day Jesus Was Born, The Day Christ Was Born, by Jim Bishop. Um, I'll start reading that uh, starting tomorrow. I hope this worked. I hope this was helpful, because you can see how he meditates on it. Um, sorry, um, the editing is going to be pretty bad because I'm dealing with a lot of noisy people around me and, uh, there's a lot going on. Um, I had to get something fixed in my apartment, um, unfortunately, and, uh, the guys finished working and I, um, so I decided I wanted to finish this podcast. Um, I try to do best I can. I know it's not what you call great quality. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there. I really uh, admire them for having all the tools and everything and having the time, you know. But, hey, um, people are listening and I hope they enjoy it. So I'm going to stop here and um, I'll get back to you for Saturday's uh, readings, okay? God bless and let's say a prayer before uh, before we go. Let's end it with an Our Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. God bless.